Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, January 29th edition of the show. Happy Olin Zellweger NHL first three games debut podcast. Yeah. Um, Didn't really roll the tongue. You are definitely going to disappoint someone in our YouTube chat who said, please, no SF helmet. And yeah. there, there, there's no SF helmet, but you've got your uh, 49ers gear all on tonight. Yep. So congratulations. Congratulations. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Uh, it's Victory Monday is what we'll call this. It's a victory podcast. Okay. Victory Monday. Hey, what's? I'm gifting you a win. You didn't even have to do anything for it. It's just a, a victory Monday for you. It's a, it's a victory Monday. Well, you know what wasn't a victory Monday? Last Monday, because it's the first time this season where Pat Verbeek decided not to make a major move on a Monday and waited till Tuesday, so we could not talk about it until a week later. Yeah, so the day after we recorded the podcast last week, lo and behold, after much speculation on the podcast, Olin Zellweger gets called up to the Anaheim Ducks and makes his debut and since we've recorded i'm kind of glad it happened this way though because yeah. now he, he's actually played three games Agreed. because if you if you had been called up last monday sure it would have helped you know whatever boost viewership that day but at, at the end of the day we wouldn't have really had much to say except yeah. oh good news blah blah, blah. but yeah. now we've actually gotten to see him play gotten to kind of really dig mm-hmm. deep into his game so that right there to me is a really just exciting kind of flashpoint in this duck season yeah, it, it definitely is. And I, I think it's funny because I think on last week's episode, I even had mentioned that probably tomorrow I'd be f- uh, furiously checking AHL transactions to see if anything would happen or what was going to go on with Robert Haig, if Olin Zell were going to get called up. And just so happens, uh, our own Derek Lee, who is in the chat right now, put out that there was a small little guy on the ice at Honda Center on Tuesday morning. And yeah. it turned out that small little guy was Olin Zellweger, and he made his debut against the Buffalo Sabres and what was a really fun game for the Ducks team. And I think a really good first game for Olin Zellweger. Yeah, first game in the books. Um, I think his first two games he's played, he played about 14 minutes, a little yep. less. It was like 1354 or something like that, the first game. Didn't play a ton in the third period. And then third game against Minnesota, he ramps all the way up to almost 18 minutes playing next to Camp Fowler. In his three games, Olin Zellweger has had three different D partners. Yeah. Ilya Labushkin, Robert Haig, and Cam Fowler. And so in that time span, he's played with like, do the math, whatever percentage of the Ducks blue line already. Yeah. I I think that what's really intriguing and I think what's what I would say is a positive about Olin's game so far is that he kind of looks the same no matter who he plays with. Like, I honestly don't think it's made a big difference whether he is playing with kind of a more depth guy in a Robert Haig, more of a third pairing guy in Ilyabushkin or a a nominal first pairing defenseman in Camp Fowler. So that's a good sign, I would say. Yeah, I would almost say I think more so the, the change in his game hasn't necessarily been due to the D partners. It's been more so, I think, due to him being more comfortable. I think there's probably a little bit in the Sabres game where they had told him to kind of play a bit of a quieter game um, and maybe kind of, not go up in the rush as much kind of work on, on what they had had told him in preseason about, I mean, we had the Greg Cronin co- quote about Minchikov kind of knows when it's best to rush, when it's not best to rush and things like that. Whereas you have guys like Tristan Leno and Olin Zellweger. And I don't think this was meant to be a shot at all. It was just simply something along the lines of what they do and what he wants to see change of, they just are always going, going, going and not always picking the best spots for it. 
And it almost felt like he had a point to prove in the game against Buffalo because it almost felt like when he was on the ice, he was not necessarily jumping up into the rush that much. He was more so working on kind of in his own zone, in his own defensive game. The numbers did not look great, but I think a large part of that is due to Ellie Labushkin uh, turning the puck over in front of the net. So it wasn't necessarily something he impacted on. And Greg Cronin, even after the game, ha- had a quote about Zellweger where it was something along the lines of, I don't really think I noticed him very much outside of the power play, which is a really good thing. That That is something that Olin Zellweger it's something you would kind of want from him is you want to notice him on the offensive side and not notice him at all defensively because he's able to retrieve pucks, get it out and and everything along those lines. And, um, and he didn't have anything that led to a scoring chance against also was something that Greg Cronin specifically mentioned. And I think in that game, it was probably his quietest game, but it's one that probably made an impact on the coaching staff of how he's evolved his game being in San Diego, taking the lessons that they gave him, during training camp, listening to Matt McIlvain and putting in the work on changing his game. Yeah. So if you kind of rewind to training camp, yep. The reason Olin Zellweger did not make the team, in my opinion, is two things. One is the defensive game just wasn't all the way there. And two, you kind of touched on it, but his decision making, his risk reward calculation with the puck on his stick, his aggressiveness was just out of whack. There wasn't a balance of, hey, there are times where you got to punt and there are times where you got to go for it. Um, sorry if that's a trigger warning to Lions fans, but it's okay. You had a great season. Anyway, carrying on. That's why he didn't make the team. But he goes down to San Diego, and I've gotten to watch maybe a handful of games uh, of his throughout the season in San Diego, and I thought he looked good. I thought that he looked like yeah. he, he was evolving as a player and kind of looking more like what we thought he would look like as a pro. Now he gets called up. And I think immediately the thing that pops up, pops off the screen when you're watching him play is that he has really solidified his overall game away from the puck, his gap control, his timing, his aggressiveness, his stick positioning, all the little details that go into being a serviceable NHL defenseman, the the defense part of it, he has gotten it down. And as the games have gone on from game one to three, we've seen him kind of add his Olin Zellweger flavor to it, where now you're seeing him hunt pucks all around the ice. Like he is getting involved in plays and it happened in game one, honestly, like game one wasn't as conservative as I think we think. Um, but he covers so much ice. Yeah. He, his skating stride, despite being a shorter player, he covers so much ice with that skating stride. He's so strong and he uses it to disrupt plays. There was a play against Dallas where he negates a Dallas zone exit, you know, pinches up at their blue line. They get through. He gets all the way back, breaks up an on man rush, and then skates back the other way to, yeah. to, to support the rush. Like he is just everywhere. You beat me um, to, to mentioning that play. Cause I had that lined up in my head to mention, but it's all, but the thing is it's all, I would say 99%, 95% balanced. Like he's not doing it at the cost of playing sound positionally sound hockey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And I think the only time where I wouldn't even say he got burned, but he was caught in a bad position was in four on four against Dallas where he ended up below the goal line after chipping and chasing. And it led to two on one, one rush going the other way, but more or less that's not on him at all. That's on the forward. I think it was either Terry or Carlson for not recognizing that that Zellweger jumped down low 
and not staying up high to help uh, defend that odd man, defend the rush going the other way. And so that's not even on him necessarily, but it's still one where you could say he got caught up in in uh, in a bad position or compromised position because of how aggressive he was in jumping into the play, and it led to a chance going the other way. Um, but I, I, I think you're spot on. I think maybe the Buffalo game, I'm not giving him enough credit for as how aggressive he was, but he was... I think the Dallas game, you started to see him play the same way that you would expect him to play, starting to uh, impact the game. One thing that stood out in that game specifically was physicality. I've seen it already in our YouTube chat and things like that about his size and his height and issue and things like that. I mean, height's going to be an issue from a length perspective, and you have to be able to have a good gap control. Greg Cronin's even mentioned that with with Olin Zellweger, that he's not going to have the reach of a taller guy. That's certainly something he's going to have to work on and make sure that he keeps and maintains. But if you see Olin Zellweger, he's jacked. Like, this is a guy that really takes care of himself, really puts in the time in the gym. I mean, I, we talked about, I think, last season that he eats like three or 4,000 calories a day. Yeah, he was like, on some crazy bulking diet in his like, last year of junior. Yeah. yeah, like this is a guy that put in the work to put on so much muscle. He is not a little guy. Like, and you can see it in battles. Like he is not getting pushed around out there at all. And so that is something you've seen throughout, throughout his play. And then I think against the, uh, against Minnesota, he was rewarded. He was rewarded for two really good games where maybe Cronin didn't trust him as much for, for whatever reason, played him in a third pairing role with kind of a third pairing defenseman, like you said, or a tweener, uh, a with a seventh defenseman. I mean, what for a reason is is that he's a rookie playing his first ever game? Correct. And you want to you want to give him some insulation. Correct. But I think he saw what he was able to do and kind of was like, "All right, I'll throw you to the wolves and pair to him with Cal- Cam Fowler, who's going to play twenty plus minutes a night." And he played seventeen some odd minutes with the with a lead. They kind of took him off the ice a little bit there and and went with more of the veteran guys with the with the Vakanine and with the Gudis, with Lacombe, with Fowler, and kind of went with that four yeah, man played almost Lacombe played 23 minutes. And in that we'll, game. we'll get there because well deserved for Jackson Lacombe in that game. But the the thing we haven't necessarily talked about because we've talked about his five on five play and how impactful he is and how he just kind of looks at home right now. Like this, this looks like the level he should be at. Um, he jumped on the power play and instantly had made an impact and, and scored a help the Ducks score a power play goal against the Buffalo Sabres uh, with Sam Carrick getting the goal with a nifty little. Uh, tip out of not tip but deflection or or swatting of a puck out of the air off an Olin Zellweger shot and I think you was it you or maybe it was somewhere else I was listening about this goal that you can see Olin Zellweger really kind of looking for that lane and I think that's one thing that I would say is a distinct difference between him and a Cam Fowler is as much as we rally against point shot and I still don't love how point shot happy Olin Zellweger is necessarily but I think the one thing that you can have is you can look and say well he's scanning for the open lane and he's not just shooting a shoot. He's kind of looking for that and going to move the puck. And if there's open ice, we saw that in that first power play, he's going to attack that open ice and look for a shot. Yeah, I think that... So, um, friend of the podcast, Mitch Brown, wrote a good article about Pavel Minchikov and how this is a problem that Minchikov has encountered this season where he's used to, you know, in junior, being able to get into the middle on the power play in the offensive zone. And in the NHL, it's a lot harder to do so he's resorting to a lot more point shots. And while point shots are still not the most effective, I think that what Olin has done well thus far, at least, you know, particularly on that play, his first NHL point, first NHL game, is that he's at least... So, again, I don't want people to be like, oh, you're you're inconsistent on point shots when it's a player you like that, that does it versus 
Cam Fowler. But what I want to say is that at least he's doing it when he's moving along the blue line and from the middle of the blue line. So to me, if you're going to take a point shot, at least do it from the middle of the ice where it's just a lot easier to have your guys lined up. There's more bodies in front of the net and he does a good job of shooting it at like, you know, kind of that typical knee height, you know, maybe like midsection height where guys can get a stick on it as happened on that play. But I still don't really love that. You know, I think that the highlights for me on the power play for him thus far have been kind of more looking for guys in the middle of the ice. He had a nice pass to Leo Carlson in his debut. He's also trying to kind of attack down low. We see this both on the power play and at five on five where he, he joins the cycle. Like he doesn't just join the rush. He joins the cycle. So when the puck is being worked down low, there was a, there was a shift against Dallas where, he saw that Terry was kind of in a jam along the wall and he just, he just skated up and off the blue line and tried to go support him. And he ended up behind the Dallas net. Like he is just so active. He's so active in all facets of the game. And I think you can kind of see that the, his teammates aren't quite used to that yet. I mean, they have played with Pavel Minchikov, but they're just not used to it, to it from Zellweger. But for me, the power play point shots like that has, hasn't really been, just we haven't seen a lot of it thus far. I yeah. wouldn't call it the highlight of his game, but to me, the highlight is still just the fact that he came in and just right away looks like he's at least can hold his own in, in all three zones. Like that is yeah. not something that I, I was sure what to expect, honestly. Yeah, and I think the Buffalo game, the power play looked instantly more dynamic with him out there over uh, over a Jackson Lacombe um, or over a Cam Fowler in that same situation. I, I Dallas game. No power play, so there's that. Uh, he wasn't able to make an impact there. Minnesota didn't really have an impact, but it almost felt like that unit could never really get fully set up. It felt like the puck on zone entries just kept finding Sam yeah, Carrick. And, and I think some of the some of those issues can be put on Zellweger a little bit in that game. Like that game, this is okay. something that this is something that I think we've seen with Zellweger now. It, it happened in his first game, and it's kind of continued where. Part of it is just he's getting used to his new team. He's getting used to the speed. He's getting used to the lanes. Okay. But there's times where he he extends a play that doesn't need to be extended. So what I mean by that is he'll start skating it up. Let's let's say a, a breakout on the power play. And he'll hit his own blue line. And there will be Terry curling on the side with speed, with room. You just got to make that pass. Just go. And instead, he'll kind of hang on just a second longer to get a guy who's a little further down the ice. But you don't get extra points for making a longer pass. You 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 just got to make the, the quick, easy play sometimes. And there were a couple times in, on those power plays, or maybe it was that one power play against Minnesota where he was trying a little too hard to do everything. Like at one point, he kind of went off on his own, dumped it when the Ducks were on a line change, and they end up losing the puck. Um, you know, there was against Buffalo where he kind of just goes rogue, trying to break it out, hitting the middle of the ice with speed when there's just nothing there. So, but, but that's something that he's just going to have to, he's just yeah. going to learn. Like that's not, that's not something that he can really learn more of more from in the AHL because now he's got to learn to do that in the NHL well, at NHL speed. Yeah, exactly. Because at the AHL, he probably can get away with that and make it happen and create a play off of it because the defenders yeah. there just aren't of that same quality. It's one of those things that there's only so much that you can learn at the very different levels through development. Some of it you do have to learn at the NHL level and and figure out how defenders are, are going to uh, react to you. The skaters are faster. The guys are bigger. The gaps are tighter. It's just a what, more structured game and a more difficult game for an offensive player to create offense in. And so it, it's one of those things that he's going to have to learn how to make that work. 
Um, but as we're talking about Zellweger, we'll, we'll talk about the games a little bit. But one thing uh, we should definitely mention is one play that that you posted that uh, caused a little bit caused a little bit of a not tire fire. Got some reactions on old uh, Twitter.com. Yeah, actually, it still works if you type in Twitter.com. It does. So you, can, you can call it that accurately. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I put a clip of a really nice uh, puck retrieval slash breakout by Olin Zellweger against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes in, and this is a this is honestly a play that a lot of defensemen do. Like, it's he's not the only he's not the first guy to do it, but he 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 executed it flawlessly. You know, comes in, you know, kind of turns his back a little bit, leaning one way, and then he just once he senses the four checker kind of biting on that per se, then he just completely flips the other way escapes and he's off to the races. And it was just picture perfect. It caught a little traction on, on twitter.com. And I think that the vast majority of people who reacted, you know, and this, this goes to not just like fans, but also like some coaches, some scouts. Like I had, I saw some names in there that I, I'm not accustomed to seeing tells me that this is just where the game is going. Like, this is how defensemen are... This is how defensemen retrieve pucks. This is how defensemen play. I actually have some clips on my phone of when I went to Ducks practice this year. And at the end of practice, they have the Ds working on puck retrievals along the wall. And they're all doing it that way. Like, they're all working on kind of, you know, doing a little shimmy shake before we're getting the puck. That's just where the game is going. Yeah, and, and you see it all the time where guys do that shimmy shake to try to be able to to get him to go one way and you can go the other. I think what makes this such a high-skilled play is the way he's able to kind of drag the yeah. puck along the boards to be able to avoid the contact and just instantly in one motion uh, get around the net and make a pass. And Patrick, uh, what is Patrick's new handle? I'm, I can't Patrick remember. Patrick C. You, present. Patrick C. Present. Used to be mm-hmm. New Era Ducks. Shout out to him and Derek, by the way, for now being a part of uh, the Hockey News and running the, the Ducks site there. So go give them a follow. Go support them. Go read their stuff, as always. Um, but he made a point of that was the play of the game. And it <laughs> yeah. like it maybe is a little bit niche. A little hyperbolic, but, but yeah. A little, little hyperbolic, but just from a high skill level play. like Just from you, an aesthetic. Like you are going in, you're able to retrieve a puck quickly with a guy coming on you, and you're able to break out and create offense going the other way. Like that is the perfect play from a defenseman. And there was pushback online because of putting himself in a vulnerable vulnerable position. And like you said, it was a very small group. Well, but Brooks, like, yeah, f- former NHLer. Um, you know, I mean, he he was in the NHL for a while, and he he I, I always remember him because he was he was on those uh, HBO Capitals. series. Oh yeah, twenty four seven, and he was pretty funny on those. But he was yeah, he was like a grinder type on those. Really good Capitals teams with Bruce Boudreaux at the helm. Yeah. And he is a Twitter blue user, so he has no character limit, or at least has a much higher character limit, and wrote this whole essay to me in reply about how he would never teach his defensemen to do that and how he's put... And he was very respectful, so I'm not trying to dunk on him at all, but he was saying, like, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. Instead, you know, you should kind of come in at an angle and have the other D kind of run like a little pick play to make sure that he doesn't get hit. And so what I will say is this, because there was a, there was, a, there was, there were many people who did push back and were like, Oh, he's lucky. He didn't get smoked. He's lucky that he didn't get smashed into the glass, blah, blah. There's a three-parter. This is a three-parter. Yep. So, so brace yourselves. I was going to say two-parter, but sure, go for it. I was going to go two-parter, but, but I'll, I'll go three. Maybe I'll forget the third one by the time I get through two, but one that is, happens. one is this is just how the game is played. 
if you watch defensemen retrieve pucks, they turn their back to the play. They have to look at the glass at some point. And yes, I understand the point about the angle you take is important. And Olin did take an angle on that play. He didn't just go straight face first into the glass. But Jonas Brodin for Minnesota made almost the exact same play. Not nearly as, you know, sexily as Olin Zellweger did in this game. But this is a move that NHL defensemen do all the time. And they approach it at the exact same angle all the time. So that's one. Two is in Brooks Likes Day back in the mid to mid to late 2000s and even early 2010s i would kind of tend to agree like yeah the, the way that the game was played and even you know you you go further back defensemen were getting smoked along the back wall you know on retrieval and it was a very dangerous play i mean how many suspensions did we see back then and i mean even until now like it does happen i'm not saying that it's not a potentially dangerous position but the game is has just completely gone away from that. You know, the, like the game has become a lot safer for individuals. And this leads to my third point, which is that if Olin Zellweger gets hit there and boarded, gets quote unquote smoked, it's a penalty. It's against the rules. If you read the boarding rule, the onus is on the player who is, you know, delivering the body check to basically not, you know, destroy the player. Like, like the onus is on you if the player's in a vulnerable position, back turned towards against uh-huh. the play to not hit him in the back, to not hit him through the numbers. Look at youth hockey. Yep, it's been, the stop sign. It's been over decades now where we have the stop sign on the back. So yeah, if you turn your back and you show your numbers, you're not gonna. You're not supposed to get hit. You shouldn't coach defensemen. You shouldn't coach any player just based on fear of what someone who's going to break the rules is going to do, right? Like it's, it's not the, like, by the rule, and just in terms of just common sense fairness, the burden is not on the player retrieving the puck to worry about someone else breaking the rules. If, if, if you rewind 15 years, sure. Different game, different era. I will acknowledge that. But the way the game is played today now, at all levels, grassroots all the way up to the NHL, and the grassroots levels and junior have way more stringent rules on this. That's just not where the game is. So sure, you can if you come in with takes from back then, just speaking to the general pushback, then yeah, that's how you're going to see it. But anyone who's kind of following and updating their priors since that time, I don't think has the same issue. And and, and here, right. and here's the other part, because completely agree. You hit a bunch of the topics I was going to bring up on it. So thank you for doing that and not making me talk twice on or bring all of those up. But the other things I want to mention are if you watch that play and it's on your Twitter. So everyone listening, go check out Felix's Twitter hand, or Twitter account for this. But he looks back. When he's approaching the yeah, boards, he does like, shoulder it, check. Yeah, he sh- he shoulder checks, and it's obvious he sees whoever the wild player is that's coming down on him, knows exactly where he is, knows the angle that he's taking, yep. and then makes that play. So it's not as if he's just making that play to make it. He sees exactly where this person's coming from and is able to make that play. And the other part of it is some of the best players in the history of this league, right? They don't get hit that often because they're able to predict where that guy is going and make the right play to be able to get out of the way and not get hit in that situation. And so even if let's just say you're, you're still of that mindset, right? Of he's putting himself in this dangerous position, all of these things and, and ignoring everything that you said. There are guys like Patrick Kane, for instance, who rarely ever got hit. And the reason for that is they were able to be able to know where the guy was coming from and avoid taking hard contact in those situations. Even if you're going in on the forecheck. 
Yeah. And that is exactly what Olin Zellweger does there. If he slows up and goes right at the boards, like he puts himself in a spot to get hit. Like by making that play, he actually avoids the contact. Like, I don't understand this whole logic of you're setting yourself up to get boarded when he avoids contact with a really nice play. So a couple things there that you brought yep. up that I want to touch on. Okay. One is if you look at Olin's position when he's getting the puck, he gets in an athletic knees bent bracing position. Like he is ready for contact. If anything there, he's the one he's trying to initiate contact. He's getting in that kind of shell position because that's what he's been taught. That's what all these players get taught. And he is prepared for the contact. Like, like he is mm-hmm. he's in a position where he's fully braced. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's staring at the glass. And even if he were, it wouldn't matter. Again, based on rules, based on everything they said. But you know what this all reminds me of? This is to my second point. Okay. Which, what you made me, what, what you were saying made me think of. You know what this reminds me of? The, the old saying of don't admire your pass. The Paul Correa, Scott Stevens thing, right? Mm-hmm. Of when you make a pass, you shouldn't just stare at the pass because you might get trucked. Like, maybe that was true 20-something years ago. Yeah. But that shit is out of the game now. And yep. f- and and for good reason. Because yep. we don't want to see our best players or anyone get hurt because of an illegal hit. You shouldn't be eligible to be hit once you get rid of the puck. I mean, the, the, the Scott Stevens hit in today's NHL would... I don't know how long of a suspension that would be, right? Yeah. Although, who knows with George Peros. But point is that there are things that we don't think about anymore because they have been phased out of the game. They admire your pass is one of them. And the, you know, don't turn your back to the play is another. And it's been that way for a much longer time than people realize. Yep, exactly. So all that say, Olin Zellweger has had a really good first three games. Um, he's been a lot of fun to watch. And let me ask you this question before we're going to get into a quick break here in a sec. And then we'll, we'll get into a little bit more from these games. But what do you think about, or do you think Zellweger at this point in time, small sample and everything, do you think he's earned being on the NHL roster for the rest of the season? Or do you think he should be, I guess is the better way to put it, with what we've seen? Well, look, removing all other considerations, Mm -hmm. so like other players, Mm -hmm. whatever, he looks good at, like, he looks like he can handle it. He looks looks like he... He belongs. It's game to game. You know, we saw Minchikov slow down at times, but that's also going to happen to any yep. young player. Um, but game to game, he's improving. He's working on different things. He's earned it. We'll see. But to me, there's no indication right now that he should go back down because I think at this point, there's always going to be things you can work on. I think at yep. this point, the things that he needs to get better at aren't like, being down in the AHL is not going to make a big difference in getting better at those. And what yep. I mean by that is like the, the puck, you know, puck decisions, things like that. Like that's just at a certain point, like that's, well, that's something you probably should learn in the NHL instead of the AHL. Well, and adjusting to the NHL speed. Like those are some things that he really needs to get. And you obviously can't get that fully in the AHL. Yeah. And, and, and so I agree. I think you find a way to make it work. I mean, by the time Minchikov is back, it will probably be close to the trade deadline. There could be guys moved out by that point in time on this blue line. And I mean, you could very well just see Cam Fowler deployed on the right-hand side moving forward when Minchikov comes back. And that could be the solution. And maybe Vakanainen, like maybe, maybe it's a situation where you put two guys, two lefties on the right side. One of, one of Minchikov and Zellweger on the ice for like 
40 minutes a game at any point in time. What? It's just fun. What if it was a Minchikov Zellweger pairing? I mean, that would be fun. I wouldn't want to see that because I don't want to see either of them play on their, their offside. Fair. But that, that would be fun. I think it would just be fun for a game. They, um, yeah, I don't think they would do that, but that'd be fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know what's also fun, Felix? Our good friends at Manscaped. So, roses are red, violets are blue. Trim your balls and your date will thank us too. What's up, fellas? Valentine's Day is knocking and Manscaped is the remedy for what the love doctor ordered. His prescription, the all-new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra, designed to elevate your grooming game and shine like the heartthrob you are. Join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com to snag 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP. So let's talk about the hero of Valentine's Day, the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. This electric trimmer features skin-safe technology guarding your V-Day treasure against any grooming mishaps. It also comes with their brightest LED spotlight. It's brighter than your best romantic smile, perfect for, for precise grooming, even in the trickiest spots. Oh, it's waterproof too, making shower shaves a breeze. But hey, that's not everything the love doctor ordered. They all, This package also features the Weed Whacker 2.0, nose hair trimmer manscapes liquid formulations and two free goodies the shed travel bag and boxers 2.0 because comfort is king for all my dogs and for a happy ending there's the manscaped refined cologne in the it's the valentine's day touch to your grooming routine elevate your grooming routine and set the stage for a romantically smooth celebration and for the bearded kings manscaped brings you the beard hedger pro kit Designed to sh- uh, shape your scruff effortlessly. It sculpts your cheek lines and maintain- maintains beard styles, giving you that suave look for your romantic moments. Seamlessly uh, handling even thicker beards, it's the perfect tool for a polished, date-ready appearance. So you can get 20% off and free shipping with code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CTP. Because your grooming upgrade awaits Ready to charm your Valentine's dates. Wow. Good job. Thank you. The new one, I think, is actually... Or the, the, the new lawnmower is a little... It's definitely an upgrade. Oh, it, it's for sure an upgrade. It's it, an upgrade, yeah. As we finish the ad read, we'll, we'll talk about the trimmer. It's really, really nice. Go check them out. Use code CTP. They, they yeah. actually... I can vouch that they improved it. So they, if you're on the market... Go go check it out. The 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 attachments and new trimmers are fantastic upgrades to the uh, to the Manscaped lawnmower. Yeah, got to be ready for prime time. Yeah, so, exactly. There you go. There you go. Um, all right. So we we've kind of touched on Zellweger, I think, enough. And so the other big talking point because Buffalo was a really fun game. Ducks played well in that game. They ended up getting the the four to two win. They had a three nothing lead and kind of got tight with two late goals. But the Ducks really kind of held a good five on five edge throughout the entirety of that game. Dallas, not as, not as great kind of were on the back foot. They relied on some fantastic Troy Terry uh, goals and performances to be able to stay in that game and eventually lost in overtime. And so then we hit the Minnesota game and the lineups drop. And so to be honest, so I was busy on Saturday night. Yeah. So I, I had not seen the lineup. I got home at 9 PM to turn on the game, had avoided everything. The game starts. And because they don't really show the lineup fully or skipped ahead to the start of the game, it started. And I noticed that Terry was with, uh, what was it? Terry was with, uh, Vetrano and, Gordon. and Gordon. grew as the center. 
And, and I was room. like, is this, this is a, is this a mid, mid shift change? Wait, the face off just happened. What is going on here? And I had to backtrack <laughs> to the start of the game nope. for them to like show the lineup. And I was, I, I was perplexed to say the least because breaking up the Carlson well, just, ter- just for, just for context, the other line was Carlson, Strom, Henrique. Carlson, Strom, Henrique, McTavish, Silverberg, and uh, Lundstrom were kept together, though. Yeah. And the D pairs were, were also jumbled about with uh, Lacombe playing with Radko Gudis. You had Cam Fowler with Olin Zellweger, and you had Urho Vakanainen with uh, Gustav Lindstrom. Or, was it Lindstrom or Hague? Oh, whatever. It was, Lin- Lindstrom, it was Lindstrom, you're right. you're Lindstrom right, against yeah. Minnesota. And let's just say this. I think the changes they made to the D pairs were optimal. Like I think with the lineup they have currently, I think that's a that's a good looking set. Like Fowler with Zellweger's good. I mean, Goodis and Lacombe were outstanding. Like that was Jackson Lacombe's absolutely best game of the season. He had two breakaways in a period <laughs> as yep. a defenseman. Yep, that's not and, supposed to happen. <laughs> well, and he just looks so impactful throughout the entire game. Like, yeah, that, that's I, why that's why I kind of push back on this whole like you know Zellweger is instantaneously more impactful than Lacombe because I think Lacombe is. He was balling in that game. And I don't know if it's just the Gudis effect where kind of everyone gets a little bit freer. It feels like anyone who plays with Radko Gudis just gets better. Well, especially a player like Jackson Lacombe, who I think has that creative puck rushing element to his game. Anytime you're playing with a defenseman like Radko Gudis, that is going to kind of take the chains off a little bit. But you wanted to talk about the forward lines. I did. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the forward line change happened, and I was perplexed because... Carlson, Henrique, and Terry had been so, so good. They were the Ducks' best line against Dallas. They were one of the, uh, probably the most impactful forward line. McTavish, Silverberg, Lundestrom were solid in that game also. But those three, Henrique, Terry, Carlson, were extremely, extremely good. They were extremely good against Buffalo. It feels like any time that they're on the ice, they're generating something for they're going to create some dangerous looks for you, create something on the rush. And it's largely uh, driven by Carlson and Terry and their interchange on the rush. And Adam and Reek just kind of being in good positions to take advantage of it. And you're seeing Adam and Reek score as a result of that. And so breaking up that line w- was an interesting decision, especially when replacing Troy Terry with Ryan Strom. Because it just feels like Leo Carlson doesn't have the guys to necessarily go with him or the horses in transition. Because Ryan Strom is a good give-and-go type of guy. We've heard that a lot with him, that that was what he did so well with Artemi Panarin. Um, but he's not a guy that's going to join the rush in in this dynamic way. And I think that, and granted, it could just be a single game. I think Leo Carlson really suffered against Minnesota not having a Troy Terry next to him. I think you saw a couple of different times where on the rush, you had him kind of going in and almost on his own and taking on guys one-on-one, whereas we where we would have seen in games past, Troy Terry would have been there in some sort of support role and given him a passing outlet, whereas Carlson didn't have one, so he just decided to attack one-on-one and end up losing the puck, and it, it goes the other way. And so it almost felt like this was a decision that was meant to... It could be a couple things, Of and I'm trying to put myself in Greg Cronin's head. Maybe to try to get Ryan Strom going by sticking him with Leo Carlson. I think the more likely situation is that Greg Cronin wanted to spread out the offense maybe a little bit more. The third line of Strom, Vetrano, and Leeson had been struggling up until that point. They had not really been generating much for. So he was looking to, I think, maybe get things going, maybe get Vetrano going a little bit more and spread out the offense and not just have this really top-heavy line. And while I think that's a 
good idea. I think when you have a line going the way that and the chemistry that Carlson, Terry, Henrique do, do right now, and especially, I mean, this is a, a sidebar of it, but with Henry, the deadline coming up in Henrique, but that's not something Cronin should be worried about at all. But I think you really have to optimize your lines so you're having the most impactful lines together and not spreading it out in this manner and just playing those lines more when they're going and not worrying about rolling four lines in that manner when you have the depth the Ducks have right now. You mean the lack of depth? Yeah. I know what you mean, but I don't think people Fair. Might, might construe that differently. Fair. Uh, yeah. So I do think that you're correct that the reason they did this, there's two reasons. One is, and you conveniently left this out, is that Leo Carlson and Troy Terry had some major gaffes against Dallas fair. defensively. Fair, but that was in three-on-three overtime, but fair. But it happened. And, yeah. And it also, happened, it also happened at four-on-four at the end of the game in the third fair. period. Like fair. They, they had some gaffes, and we know that Greg Cronin despises big mistakes. That, that's a fair correction. But secondly, I think the the more salient point is that I think that it's pretty clear that when it's Terry and Carlson with Henrik, but really just Terry and Carlson, they are a one-line team. They're just simply a one-line team. And I think that in this game against Minnesota, fair. Leo Carlson was not nearly – he couldn't be as impactful because he's carrying around – Ryan Strom's, you know, millions of dollars in contract remaining, and he's carrying around Adam Henrique. So it's not going to look the same. I thought they had some good moments. Um, of course, not as dynamic, but Frank Vetrano and Bo Grew look great next to Troy Terry. I thought Frank- that, that line worked really well together. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are great. I mean, I think a lot of that is just, I think Troy Terry is is playing some of the best hockey he's ever played in his career but, in this but current Gru- stretch. But, but Gru and Vetrano had like big hands in, in his success. No, like they were I, winning battles. They were getting the puck to him. I, I don't disagree. I don't think, I think you want to have one more playmaker. Like I would actually be interested in seeing Vetrano, Carlson, Terry together, but you run into the same problem. But here's it. the thing. I, I think that what they did, first off, they won. And yeah. I thought that generally speaking, it worked pretty well. Like it's not, it's not going to, it's not going to pop as much. Mm-hmm. I think that what they're looking for is just kind of sustained pressure. You That's know, basic, basically I view it as money ball. This was my, this was my little okay. uh, line in discord earlier, but I think it's more about, let's just get on base with each line. Let's not worry about hitting the home run with each line, because if we try to hit, if we try to hit a home run at our top line, that means we're striking out with the next two lines. Mm-hmm. And I think instead it's like, okay, let's just have a line both lines in the top six being able to get on base, being able, and what I mean by that is getting into the zone, sustaining possession, which they did, which Henrique, Strom, and yeah. Carlson did. And yeah, it's not going to be as dangerous, but at least we're away from our net. We're not allowing as many rush chances because we're constantly, you know, turning it over or what have you. And is it as flashy? Is it as high, uh, you know, high outcome, whatever you want to call it? No, but I think that in the position they're in, I can at least fully understand why they're doing it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I can see and, why they're doing also, it. I also just like, I like the fact that they're giving Bo Gru like a real shot. That's fair. Too. Yeah. That No, and I think that, I think my my biggest issue is I think you're taking away an impact player from playing with Leo Carlson and you want, you, you want Leo Carlson to play with some of your best players right now. Um, whereas, I mean, technically he is. <laughs> fair so that's what adam henrique and brian strom are to this team fair 
But I, I think that the Terry line was fantastic, though. You're spot on there that that line was great. It's more so an issue of how much are you taking away from Carlson being able to be impactful by having having him play with Brian Strom and Adam Henrique. And granted, single game. Like, this this could all be changing because... Uh, and, they, and they played well, and they won. Yeah, but the one thing I would say is the McTavish line. Like, the the change to have Lundestrom and Silverberg, I mentioned it on last, last week's podcast that... Why not give it a go, see what happens, get someone a bit more de- defensively responsible, maybe come free at Mason McTavish. And the Minnesota game was probably their weakest game as a whole, but that line worked against Buffalo and against Dallas and gave the Ducks a good option to to limit chances against and create chances for. And I think McTavish, while there are still some flaws within his game and things he needs to clean up, I think we've seen him be able to be freed up a little bit more by having Jacob Silverberg and Isaac Lundestrom on the line with him. Yeah, it's an interesting situation because McTavish has basically been taken away from all the offense generating players. You know, mm-hmm. basically the entire season, he's been next to a Vetrano, he's been next to a Strom. He's, you know, he's always had this kind of opportunity to have offensive guys next to him. And now he's very clearly on a defensive line. No offense to Isaac Lundestrom and Jakob Silverberg, but they are not that. And I thought at least against Minnesota, it was definitely not a great game for them. It, yeah. You know, Mason McTavish taking another just not great penalty, the cross check on Kaprizov. Um, but I will say that at the end of the game, in the dying minutes of the game, they had one fantastic shift that helped keep Minnesota at bay. And I don't point this out often, but I will give Mason McTavish credit for this. In the dying seconds, they're in their own zone. It's off a, It's a D-zone draw. They lose the draw. Puck goes out to the wing for Minnesota. It comes back across, and Mason just perfectly times his movement following the puck to the intended shooter. It's a one-timer, and he perfectly dives across and a perfect textbook shot block. And I know that mm-hmm. we, you know, we don't talk about shot blocks really on this podcast, but I thought on that play, what it showed to me is that he had the right read of the play, that he followed it to a T, mm-hmm. and then the puck comes out of the zone. They're able to get it deep into Minnesota territory. They're able to hold it along the wall, just milk some seconds off the clock. And I think for Mason, getting shifts like that in his bag, even in in a game where there were other shifts that weren't as great, is really, really big for his confidence and just for his overall game. So I'm still a fan of this experiment, even though it hasn't looked, you know, it hasn't always looked amazing. I mean, two two of the three games it worked. I'm still, yeah, and I'm a fan of the experiment overall. Although I will say, to pivot slightly off McTavish, is that Lundestrom on that line, I thought against Minnesota, he wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of like turnovers, but yeah. I do think that he is a winger. Like, I just think that what, yeah. we're see- what we're seeing from him is that he had one sequence where he did a good job kind of curling wide, doing what he kind of always does from center, except he started off on the wing you know, just controlling it on the perimeter and then looking for an option in the slot. And it almost worked. And it's like, if that's what he's going to do anyway at center, it makes sense to have him be at the wing, honestly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that he works as a winger right now. I think this line works. One thing Cronin even mentioned was um, was that Silverberg is, is pretty quiet, or is sorry, is pretty vocal on the bench. And he's like, I think that's what Mason needs right now because he is one of the most vocal leaders on the bench and he is constantly talking to McTavish and and giving him instructions. And it almost feels like that's what he needs. We saw that with with Adam Henrique, right? And Adam Henrique was 
was talking on the ice and Trick kind of directing him in one of your breakdown videos. And Jacob Silverberg giving him that direction also, I think, is going to be really helpful. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a fan of the move. I'm a fan of it for McTavish. I will say that, like it, it it's it can be all of these things. Because on one hand, I do think that watching him on this line with Lundestrom and with Silverberg, there's just not a lot going on offensively. Like he's not getting a lot of puck touches. He's not getting a lot of chances. Uh, right against Dallas and against uh against Buffalo, they had some touches. I mean, Silverberg had two goals. One of them was on a two on one. One of them was on a two on one rush where he sets up a really nice shot or really makes a really nice pass to feed Silverberg. Who's able to bury it. That's true. And then, and and then also against Dallas, he, I mean, I'm just looking right now at kind of the numbers. I mean, they were sitting about 0.6 expected goals for, and were significantly above 50% with that Buffalo. uh, Buffalo looks about the same, about 0.8 expected goals. It was really the, the, the Minnesota game. We're well, kind of dropped off offensively. My thing with my thing with that line though is that I think as a whole you can say pretty comfortably that he's not going to get as much offense, as many offensive looks on that line. Uh I, so here's here's if I where can I'll, finish. If I can just sorry, finish, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. He, I think in the in the long run, playing with those guys, he's not going to get as much offense as he would on another line. But the thing with Mason McTavish is that he's already shown that he can produce offense at the NHL level. He's already shown that he can put up points, that he can get goals, that he can create things. And so right now, even if this line might not really be helping him offensively, at least in my opinion, it's still addressing a, an area of his game that he needs to develop. And that's why as a whole, it's still a good thing that he's there. Yeah. And I mean, I might even, I might even push back on the offense side of it just from the perspective of, I think with Vetrano and Strom, they weren't really creating that much offense. Like, well, they were they were putting up. I mean, they were putting up a lot of results, though. Yeah, but like, so so that. no, they were putting up results, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they I mean, were getting still, a lot of. That's still offense, though. Like, you yeah, can't but say I, that's but not I, offense. No, but I'm saying they're not going to get sustained sustained pressure to be able to continually get. Offensive I mean, if you want to if you want to sit here today and tell me that he will get as much, if not or more, offense playing with Isaac Lindstrom and Jakob Silverberg as Vetrano. Strom, Henrique, or other guys, that's fine. So we can disagree small, on that. Small sample. Yeah, it's two games. Small sample. Three, three, three games. Well, one of them wasn't good, which you yeah, pointed which, out. So here I have the numbers, though. Mm-hmm. So to your point, Vetrano, McTavish, Strom sit at 2.74 expected goals, 4 per 60, over a 276-minute sample. Mm-hmm. Lundestrom, Silverberg, and McTavish, 2.66. Less, not significantly so. The big thing is defense. McTavish, Strom, Vetrano, 3.59 expected goals against per 60. Lundestrom, Silverberg, uh, McTavish, 0.84. And that's why he's on that line. And that's yep. why him being on that line is a good thing. Offense is close to similar, maybe a little bit less. That, that won't but... hold. I'm just going to say right okay. now that will go down, uh, which is fine. Sc- uh, screenshot that, people. Take a video of that. We'll see. I mean, you're, we'll, you're, we'll, you're probably correct, but I mean, I, I'm very shocked that y- you haven't necessarily been the most glowing Jakob Silverberg, Isaac Lindstrom supporter. Do uh, I have to be? Uh, they that line also just look now. I'm just looking at line numbers that has the best expected goal share of any line on the Ducks. I mean, it's with, three games with a 30 like, minute time on ice sample. It's it's three games. Want to guess this? Want to guess the second line? Wait, what's the stat? Expected goal share. Expected goals four percentage at five on five score and venue adjusted. I don't know. Carlson, Terry, Henrique. 
Well, yeah, that makes sense. That actually and makes sense. Guess who's third? Uh, Carlson, Terry, someone else. Nope, doesn't have Carlson or Terry on it. Oh, it's is it Zegras with someone? Nope. I don't know. Give up. It, it is Silverberg, Johnston, Carrick. Wow, so you're Ross Johnston hate. Uh, th- it is not Ross Johnston driving that line, good sir. Isn't it? It is not. Because Brock, it? Mc- Brock McGinn, Ross Johnston, Sam Carrick in, uh, is sitting at 15.5% expected goal share. I would say Jacob Silverberg deserves a lot of flowers this season. Yeah, tell that to Dom Lushishin at The Athletic. Yeah, uh, seriously. Like, that was Watch the games. Watch the Jack- games. Jacob Silverberg has been fantastic. He deserves yeah. his flowers. He deserves so 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 many flowers. Yeah, he's season. like I'm not I'm not shitting on Silberg here. Like no I, 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 no no I don't think you are. You're trying to pin me into that. You're trying to frame me, and that's okay. <laughs> that's what you do. But I want to clarify that I think he's played well. Um, I'm very happy for him, <laughs> and maybe he'll be parlayed into draft capital. We'll see. Do you think he gets traded? I don't think he gets traded. Just I don't the contract. Like, if you have to get creative to trade him. And yes, I, th- I acknowledge he's played well, but given what he is, are teams really going to go out of their way to like facilitate this kind of move for fourth line player, third line yeah. player? I don't know. I also don't. I I feel like he's the one guy that that's a UFA where you just are like, let him play it out in Anaheim. Like it yeah. it sounds like he's going to go back to like what's what's the best thing he's going to get you. Well, it sounds like he'll go back to Sweden next year and, and play a season in the SHL. I think. No, that that's was. just where he wants to finish his career. We oh, is that be, what it was? I thought to, I. People have been saying that, and that, that's because that's the assumption. Like that's the, or sorry, that's the inference. But I think he's just said like that's where he wants to finish his career. Got it. Not, like, Got it. That's where he's my bad. Year. My bad. Good point. You're, you're good ending pushback. his career in the NHL. Good. I, good pushback. Yeah. Uh, Shaking wing said. Uh, so we're gonna get to our Discord questions unless there's anything else that you've got. Uh oh, I do want to highlight okay. Lucas Dostal against Minnesota. Fantastic. Very, very, very good game. He just continued like I was looking at the the chart someone put on our Discord today of the advanced numbers from Micah for goalies this season. You know, just goals expected goals against faced versus uh you know their goal saved all expected. And man, Lucas Dostal and John Gibson are both in that kind of good top right quadrant and Goaltending has not been an issue for the Ducks this season, nope. and it's honestly really encouraging to see that from from Lucas Dostal. Gibson's tenth in the league in a, in GSAX this season. Yeah, and and Dostal, you know, doesn't have the volume, but he's been yeah. he's been very good. He, he is. Had, he he had like maybe a four game rough stretch, but outside of that, he's been excellent. Yep, he's thirty sixth right now in yeah. X, in GSAX. So yeah. high That's end the back problem up, with basically. that stat. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a cumulative stat. Yeah, which, which is going to happen, but. Uh, John Gibson's been very good, and it's funny because I think that some on the the ESPN broadcast they showed his raw save percentage, and it just goes to show how what much I don't I don't pay attention to it. I think going into that game, it was like sub nine hundred. Really, it was like eight ninety eight. It's I mean, right now it's currently at nine oh two. Yeah, I mean, which is just like goes to show like for looking a while, at it was like nine ten. I think. Yeah, but it just goes to show looking at raw save percentage removes so much of the context. Doesn't tell the whole story. Although for you, you have said to me that if a goalie has below 90%, you can kind of infer they're not playing well. Have I said that? You said that about Dostal. 
When did I? I no, I didn't. I said you, it about. You like, said that we can. Someone go find the. Tape, okay, please. find the clip. Find yeah. the clip. Yeah, yeah. D Rock in our in our uh, Twitch chat says a great point. Save percentage in GAA have become archaic in terms of evaluating goalies. I mean, GAA has been archaic for a long time. Yeah, that's but, that's been like that's been at least fifteen years probably. Yeah, and then save percentage has also become archaic because you're just you're not you're not being able to see the actual quality of we just have face. better stats yeah we, we just have more information with with the stats that we have um that just I mean, improves it, upon they're it. not useless like i mean I, I remember back in the day we had this this was like 2017 we had like a debate in our anaheim calling slack which now is a, a huge throwback here but mm-hmm. i remember we were having this argument about gsax versus goals against average and I remember our old friend Benny ran the numbers and like there's still a strong correlation with, you know, these good advanced numbers and the traditional stats. Not maybe strong might be a, a bit too far, but there's still like a decent correlation. Like it's like if you have good traditional numbers, it's probably a good sign, but you still yeah. need you still need to cross reference. Well, yeah, it's just one of those things of right. Sure, there there's correlation there. But why would you pick the stat that is less has less Correct. information baked into it? I guess is, I'm just saying that like the, there's no perfect stat. You know, there's no. always something no. that, especially with hockey, there's always something that you can nitpick for sure. Um, but yeah, you still, I still lean on like I like I said like I like you were just saying I I couldn't tell you anyone's save percentage or, or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. So. Yep. All right, so let's jump into questions. So we're gonna hit our pa- our Patreon exclusive Discord to start. So go to patreon.com. Slash Crash Pond, join at the $2 tier or greater to get access to the Discord, and we prioritize your questions first. Uh, Shake and Wink said, does this team's injuries or do uh, this team's injuries in any way come from playing the style Cronin wants? I mean, looking at the injuries, like trying to think off the top of my head, like some of the injuries that have happened, like to Carlson, to Zegris, Minchikov, like no, they're just freak injuries. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, like may, I mean, we just don't know the other ones. We don't know the Labushkin injury. We don't know yeah. what the Gudis injury was. We don't know what the Max Jones injury was. So it's hard to really say. But the ones where we know what the injuries are and have left lost significant amount of time, no. I mean, maybe you could make the argument that the early on Zegers and, and Drysdale injuries were maybe due to that of going from zero to a hundred, but that was also partially just due to missing some of camp and, and causing that. So um, I would say overall, no. Um, let, let's see. Uh, it's also just kind of a noble. Yeah. Brad said questions for Felix. Cause, uh, he had DM me these questions. I had answered, uh, who do you think is, uh, has the better overall career? Zellweger or Minchikov? Man, why, why are we pitting these two against each other? So let's just say they, they both have equally fantastic careers. Well, so who, who do I think has the higher ceiling? I think it's still Pavel Minchikov. I would agree. Mitchikov's older, right? No. Or no, he's younger. He's younger. Younger, okay. younger, but by like three months. Okay, okay. So their their ages aren't a factor. Um, no, I think Mitchikov will have the better overall career because I just think that he can do some things already that are just more explosive than Zellweger can. Like he was showing them instantly. Zellweger may yet do that, but as it stands today, I would pick, pick Mitchikov, but not foreclosing Zellweger having the better career. Yeah, I'm going to say both. They both uh, have fantastic careers. Yep, I think that that's go. pretty obvious. Overall, which pair becomes better, Zellweger and Minchikov or Clark and Spence? Honestly, I haven't watched a ton of Brent Clark. I love Jordan Spence. I think he's a great young defenseman. But this is like easily, easily 
No questions asked. Zellweger and Mitchikov. Like, skating is at such a premium in today's NHL. And Brant Clark very much remains to be seen if he can be a difference maker in that respect. So, mm-hmm. uh, Jack Jane said, assuming everyone is healthy and Gauthier is with the club, what does your ideal top six look like? <laughs> I feel like we're going to get this question every single week. Um, I'll go with... Gauthier, Zegris, uh, Terry. Terry. Gauthier, yeah. Zegris, Terry. McTavish, Carlson, uh, Kalorn. Yeah. There you go. Put McTavish on the wing and, and let him go with Carlson and Kalorn. Let him cook. Like, that's actually a, like, legit top six. Yeah. Well, assuming Cutter Goche. Fair. Makes the jump and is impactful. But, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Fair. Uh, Fire Newell Brown Drumbanger said, assuming everyone is healthy. Oh, uh, oh, this is now about power play. Okay. It's healthy. And with Cutter turning pro, pick your top five for power play one. Uh, Who would you take uh, and where on power play one? uh, And will you... uh, where will you deploy them? Okay, so he gave us options. Zegris, Terry, Carlson, Gautier, Tavish, Minchikov, Zellweger. So at the point, Pavel Minchikov. I would agree. Actually, do I go bold? No, I'm not I'm not going there. Uh, Were you going to go five forwards? I was going to go Zegris at the point. <laughs> Zegris is the hardest guy to fit in all of this. Zegris at the point is interesting. No, I'm gonna stick. To I don't it. think I, they would do it though. Screw it. What this is what I would do. Kay. Screw it. Because it's it's he says pick your top five. Zegers yep. at the point. Uh, Terry on the left flank. Carlson on the right flank. McTav or let's go McTavish and Gautier in the middle. They can interchange, you know, their spots. Okay, I'll, I'll go with you. That's fun. Yeah. Why not? And then I mean, hell, Minchikov and Zellweger can play on the same power play. Like that's yeah, a put them on the, put them on the other unit. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Brad said, uh, question, which one of these have a greater than 50% chance of cracking the top 12 next year? Perot, <laughs> Tracy, Regenda, Nestorenko, Pastajov. And rank them in order from least to best chance. Okay, uh, I'm going to go Perot, worst chance. Or no, Pastajov, worst chance. Pastajov, worst chance. Then Tracy. Perot, then, Tracy, interchangeable. Then, then Nestorenko. No, I, sorry, I, I would do Pastajov, Tracy, Nestorenko, Perot, Regenda. I think Perot's higher than Nestorenko. I don't think so. I don't think so. But they're same. You, I mean, Perot, I think is like just from product. This is purely based Nestorenko on production. Nestorenko does more. He just does more. Okay. So and, that that's and, the only and, disagreement and we have. I mean, hey, I would love for that to happen. By the way, I would love for you to be right. Yeah. So, uh, football is boring. Drum banger said thoughts on the year check situation in Columbus. And do you agree with the take that the Kings rushed the rebuild? So, your check situation. Start there. Uh, I mean, hey, good on your check for being candid. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what we always ask for players to do. And for those who don't know, he basically came out and said because he got sent down the NHL. Like I'm, I'm an NHL player. You look at guys in my class; they're in the NHL. They're getting power play time. I'm not blah blah. And I think some people may very much uh, not like that. And I kind of understand it. I think David St. Louis had a really good kind of thread on this on, on Twitter.com today. And I think that if you kind of look at some of the quote unquote mistakes or risky plays that your is making, like Pavel Minchikov is doing the same thing, but the ducks are letting him play through it and staying in the NHL. So I just see Columbus as a giant tire fire right now. Like everyone yeah. has to be fired in that organization. Yeah. 
Oh, I should yeah. say everyone. But like management has to go, coaching has to go. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think he's moved. I don't think this is a distinct trade request. I they would be is, they they would be like so stupid to trade him. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't think he's getting traded. So that that's my thoughts on it. I think it's I mean, oh that's right. I guess Kekalainen told him to find a place to live in Columbus also. Which I mean, look at what they've been doing all season. Benching guys. Yeah, you know, like left and right, you know, giving them little minute. Like it's just, it's like a shit it, show. It wouldn't surprise me if Eurocheck is asking for a trade based upon that. Uh, and then actually, before we get to the second part of the question, uh, forgot to even bring this up. But speaking of asking for a trade, sounds like uh, um, Arthur Kaliev is on the outs in LA. Yeah, and and they are supposedly looking for a bottom a bottom six winger with some jam. <laughs> I think it was with some. Was it was it jam? I think it was jam. Is I feel how like it was another free, word worded by Elliot Friedman. But with no, with, with some nastiness, some grittiness. Would you would you, you do know. Frank Vitrano for Arthur Kaliev? I think Frank Vitrano gets you more. So no, okay. I would not do that trade. Okay, so like that, he has that, to right. Like they're they're trading Kaliev at his lowest, lowest. value. So like, maybe it's Kaliev plus a pick. Yeah, Kaliev in so. a second. My my point is, would you do that deal if the Kings added to it? I guess. So again, preface this by saying I have not watched a ton of Arthur Kaliev in recent yep. years, but I know what he does well, which is shoot. I know that that's kind of a missing talent in the Ducks lineup. And looking at some of his numbers this year, like he has some really good underlying numbers from a defensive standpoint. So I would say, yeah, if you can bring him in and it makes sense trade wise, then yes, why not? Derek, Derek uh, corrected us saying depth player with some edge was the verbiage that that Freeman used. So there's I like jam that. better. Yeah, jam jam's more fun. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're getting Cali, if you're kind of getting what Frank Vetrano is, a guy that's a shooter that is potentially not great defensively, but although you're he's get... he's good defensively this Fair. year. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm I guess I'm just saying from the well, no, Vetrano is kind of viewed as being good defensively by the. Tom McClellan would love Frank Vetrano. I, I think that's a trade that both teams can really benefit from also. Like, yeah. I think that that's a good trade for both teams. But uh, back to the question, though, football is boring. John Ranger said, do you agree that the Kings rushed the rebuild? No. No. Don't agree. Nope. We, I, we, I, we did a whole Patreon episode on this, basically, so true. you can listen to that. <laughs> true. Great point. Vyacheslav uh, Budiets Believer said, good chance this will be covered, but what, if anything, would you be willing to give up to get Jiracek to the Ducks? I'm right hand is he, D. Is he right handed? He's right handed. I looked it up. Oh, uh, Cutter Gauthier? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Pile of stuff plus picks. Yeah, I, I if you can do it for a picks and pile of stuff, you do that. Yeah. I don't think you like McTavish. He, the, no. the natural inclination is people are going to say Zegris, but I would no. not do that. No, no, I, no, I no. would not do that. No, but I but I love your check. So, yeah, uh, Bonnie said, why can't people want Vetrano to stick around? What is wrong with everyone? I mean, I get why Vetrano is a fan favorite. Like, yeah. he plays with so much passion, his goal celebrations. He was like an insane person, uh, you know, has the shot. But I think it's not that people want him gone. It's just that his contract situation, where the team is kind of at rebuild-wise, that's why. That's why people and it, want it. And it's just from the value perspective, right, of – He's never going to be at a higher value than he is now. He's most likely not going to continue scoring like he has this season. 
it, it just doesn't seem sustainable from especially what we've seen down this last little stretch. He's cooled off fairly significantly. Um, yeah. He's still on, on a pretty good goal pace, but it, it's he's probably going to end up in like the high 20s is most likely, I think, where he ends up. Um, it, and so I think you're cashing in on him hitting that total now and also the fact that his his uh, cap hits low. And so it it's tough, I think, from a fan's perspective of you get attached to a player and want to see them stay as a duck. But the other perspective uh, is will will he be a duck pass next season? Because yeah. do you want to sign that guy as 30 years old to whatever contract he's going to need because he's going to be coming off a 20 like like a 20 plus goal season and may, might have that same thing next year most likely won't but he could be expensive and you're going to have to start paying your kids and so it's all about real reallocating the cap and making things work from that perspective and there's only so much money to go around in a hard cap world and you're trying to kind of keep that in mind as this team continues to build out. Um, so not Bingo. fun for fans, but it, it's a long-term situation. Um, so OG Leo Carlson truther said, and I did not even see this before I mentioned it, but Vetrano for Cali, even a first get it done, Pat. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if the Kings have a first beat this year. I just don't know if you can get that for, yeah. for Vetrano. So Ducks Dragonette said, there are obvious trade talks surrounding a few players, Labushkin, Henrique, Vitrano, etc. Give me one dark horse pick for someone you think could be moved at the deadline, but hasn't been talked about that much, if at all. Vakaninen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a good dark horse. Vakaninen, just because there's so many left-hand D on this team, it's not that he hasn't played well. He's played fantastic, and I think that's why he could have some value to teams. Max Jones, if he gets healthy? Yeah. I mean, some of these RFAs might not be qualified. Or they might just not make sense to bring them back. Um, yeah. I mean, the other one that's not really a dark horse, but that kind of is, is John Gibson. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you can say he's a dark horse when his name's in all the talks. Yeah. Um, hey, Ojifo said, how would you compare and contrast Cronin's system from that of Aikens? There is a system. Uh, there is one. <laughs> that, that's simple. Let's just uh, leave it at that. Dalton Key said, if you hit a Michi in the show, what would the Selly be? A Michigan goal? Yeah. Just no celebration. <laughs> just calm, cool, collected? Just just no celebration. Would you uh, row the canoe? I wouldn't have no celebration. Would, would you just, shoot? Would... I, I would skate back to the bench. <laughs> just make Tortorella happy? Just, you know what? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal anymore. I would, yeah. I, I would shoot my glove out of the air. Why not? Uh, day, one, day one Brock Purdy Believer said... Thoughts on the stadium series uniforms? Bad. Rangers are solid. The, the, Rangers, the, the Rangers helmet actually brought me a little closer. I don't know if the, I've, I don't think it. I've seen the helmet yet, but flyers are fine. It's red. The Devils, the Devils, someone mentioned this. It's just the Hurricanes jersey from last year. Yeah. The Islanders the, is the atrocious. Islanders. The Islanders is just like, did you even try? It's like Microsoft paint. Did you even try? Yeah. Um, Oh, God damn. Dr. Plant Ranch said, should we skip this? I love you, Plant, but we've had so many line questions. What are your ideal lines for the last 10 games of the season? Assuming I mean, we, health we, we, and whatever. We basically trades. answered that yeah, earlier. Yeah. So. Doom Crosser said, can we start a petition for Cutter Gauthier to wear 88 with the Ducks to troll Flyers fans? I'm signing. Wait, I'm, who was 88 on the Flyers? Eric Lindros. Oh. And Eric Lindros famously refused to go to the Nordiques when he yep, was drafted. Great point. 
to the benefit of the I Philadelphia don't, Flyers. I don't think I was watching as hardcore back then, so I don't really know. Well, remember, you probably weren't no, alive. Lind- I wasn't in the eighties. Lindros? No, Lindros the was trade. 90s. The trade itself, though. Oh, when was the trade? <laughs> it was nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I was alive. I was one years old. Okay, you were barely yeah. alive. Yeah, you there were, we go. You were a blob. Yeah, I was a blob. Uh, Doom Krauser said Thomas Sukanek has an eight two and one record and a nine twenty six save percentage with the goals in the AH on an AHL only deal. Do you th- think the Ducks will sign uh, Sukanek and I'm probably butchering his name to an NHL contract next se- to an NHL contract next season? How the Ducks found another undrafted gem in net like Jonas Hiller? I mean, why not? Yeah, like like you need you need depth, you need insurance policies in net. That could be your backup next year. To, yeah. To to Lucas Dostal. Yeah, I mean it's it's still a tiny sample, um, so we have to keep that in mind. But just in terms of like an NHL deal, two way or whatever, like yeah, why not? Is Fire Newell Brown drumbanger said is Olin Zellweger your twenty four twenty five Calder Trophy winner? Uh, sure. Yes. I don't think he's gonna be Calder eligible next year. Macklin Celebrini. Macklin Celebrini wins it on the Ducks. <laughs> there you go. Uh, SP84 said, will the Ducks have more than two new prospects on their AHL, uh, AHL team after the trade deadline? Ooh. Maybe. Uh, yes. Ian, let, I'm trying to think about who they have well, in well, college I, mean, I think he means who they would get. Like, Yeah. No, I, I know what he meant. Via trade, let's go with no, but they may have some guys coming out of college. I don't, think they're, I don't think they're getting prospects in a lot of these trades. No, I don't either. And Fire Newell Brown drumbanger said, is Lucas Dostal him? Yeah. I've been trying to tell people, and I keep getting hand-waved, but he's very good. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to hit our Twitch uh, chat and our YouTube chat. So for those of you listening, also, if you're in the chats, please start throwing your questions in with question. I see one from Rhett Flow already. But if you're listening on your favorite podcast services, you can find us each and every time we go live, which is typically on Mondays at 8 p.m. Uh, at twitch.tv slash crash the pond, where if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month, where if uh, you subscribe to us, you get special emotes in the chat. You get special badges uh, next to your name, and it helps out more than you can imagine. You can also just follow us there, and you can find out when we go live. And if you subscribe, you can be just like Ducks Jaggernaut, who sub- uh, resubbed uh, for his 16th month. So thank you so much. Uh, or another way you can support us that is also completely free to you, go to youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, and if you have a YouTube account, and yes, I know everyone listening to this, as a YouTube account. We all do. We all sit there and watch YouTube account, YouTube videos. Felix, for whatever reason on the craft spawn account, watched one about gaming chairs. And <laughs> now, now they're game. Now they're gaming chair recommendations. Do you see on, the new on, chair that I'm sitting in? I, I do. And, and I noticed that there was a YouTube video. I don't, video I don't for like an algorithm. That scares me a little bit. I, I, I always make sure to change, but to, to my personal account, but, um, go, go to youtube.com slash craft spawn. You can uh, subscribe to our channel there, like our videos. It does help out more than you can imagine. Lou's saying he doesn't have a YouTube account. I'm pretty sure if you have a Google account, it's yeah, almost, I, you you have a YouTube account. I, I just refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that. In, Lou of in, all in, people. In the year of our Lord, 2024. Actually, no. Lou is probably the one person I could believe that doesn't. Anyway, let's let's okay. move on here. Rhett, Rhett Flo said, question, with the recent Hockey Canada info, uh, it was glad to see what uh, that Max was not mentioned. Uh, whatever happened to Comtois? 
He is uh, playing for the Chicago Wolves, right? Yeah, he's in the AHL, you know, living life. Pro hockey player. Good for him. Yep. Uh, Duck Shackernaut said, uh, when will Felix admit that Brock Purdy is not him and has been fortunate to get this far? <laughs> uh, why would I admit something that's not true? No. I okay. will not do that because it's not true. Okay. Uh, let's see. So keep throwing questions in, but uh, it's quieted down a little bit I in do our have a, I do have a question from Trevor Zebris on Twitter. Okay. Saying, I've heard you say a couple times that you really like the way BC's Eamon, or is it Eamon or Eamon? I always forget. Eamon Powell plays. We've heard that Labushkin has gained interest from Tampa. Would you like to see a Labushkin trade for Powell and maybe a fifth, or would you rather try to get maybe a third? So... Eamon Powell is a defenseman on Boston College, and he is a right-hand shot. And just from like watching him, he's a he was a fourth rounder for the Lightning in 2020. He's a really kind of just crafty little, you know, puck-moving defenseman. Plays in their power play, and the Ducks don't really have a lot of those types in their like in their depth right now on their depth chart. And if he could ever become a third-pairing guy, I would prefer to see that than. A lumbering bruiser personally so yeah like a, a prospect with some upside and a and a fifth round pick for labushkin yes but i don't know if that's necessarily realistic so yep uh all right so we have uh two shit show questions or i guess one shit show question in our discord throw your questions in and twitch and youtube if you got them we'll get to them uh football is boring drum banger said are we sure expansion is good um I think from the perspective of um, having more teams, tougher to make the playoffs, all that type of stuff makes it hard. No, we're not sure expansion is more expansion is good. No, it's good. But, it's good for the bottom line. I what? But it's I'm money go based. Here. It's good for the 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 markets that are going to be getting an NHL team also because it grows the game, build builds more fan bases, has more kids playing hockey. I mean, look at the kids in the NHL now from California. Look at the kids in the NHL now from Arizona. Like, you can see the growth of the game in the Sun Belt and how that has expanded the game and created new talents that would have never touched hockey without them there. I think that getting that type of thing in Salt Lake City, getting that in Houston, uh, getting some sort of good owner in Atlanta and a team that is not going to be miserable for 10 years could also do, do wonders. So I think from the perspective of potentially watering down the league, no, it's not great, but from the perspective of growing the game, creating more opportunities for people, I think it's good. Yeah, and then ultimate Lu- yes and no question. And then Lou says Brock Purdy is him in in that channel in that channel, and I agree to Ducks Dragonauts early earlier slander. Um, yes, is Brock Purdy lucky? Was there luck involved to win both against Green Bay and Detroit? One million percent. Yeah. Did he Dan- also did he also do things to single-handedly help propel his team to victory? One million percent. Uh Daniel Me said, uh, so what have you guys thought of all the legacy knights this year? Also, Fantilli is now injured, so can Leo get the calder? Um the legacy knights have been cool. They they've been really cool to see kind of all the guys come back. I think both from the 07 team and from the, the earlier years. I think seeing those guys, I, I think it's a good way to honor that, the, those different eras. Um, and with Fantilli, no, I, I don't know if Leo is necessarily going to play enough. And, and I don't know if Connor Bedard is either. Like, I think Bedard may end up with more points than Leo does. And they may end up playing similar amount of games at the end of it all. Yep. 
So, uh, Sean Fight said, who can get the best promo on the team? Would you guys buy a Gudis jersey if he talked like the Macho Man? I don't know what any of that means. Uh, who can cut the best promo? I Frank Vetrano? No. Uh, yeah, Frank Vetrano. Frank Vetrano for sure would cut the best promo. Uh, no, I would not buy a Gudis jersey if he talked like Macho Man, mainly because I just don't like number seven as a jersey number, personally. Wow. Disrespectful to Andrew Cogliano. Is it? Yes, it is. Um, he wore number seven. Rhett Flo said, uh, question, will Arizona get an arena deal done? Don't know. No clue. No clue. Not, not the person to ask. Nope. Ducks Dragonet said, when do you think the Ducks finally buckle and rebrand to what the fans want? I think this year is a soft launch. I don't know. Soft launch. I'm being hopeful here. Soft launch with how much everyone has loved the eggplant and jade. I hope so. I hope you're right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Hey, Otiflo said, should we really care about what Lou has to say when he slanders Lamar as he does? I think Lou is definitely right. Talking about Brock Purdy. And I'll leave it at that. The ultimate flip flopper. Our good friend, Lou. <laughs> yeah. Lou had in his profile the entire week in discord, a screen name as Lamar Jackson's. Cause so just for context, now we've entered the shit show. Portion. We, we brought up this context last, last week to be fair, but Someone may still not know. We are inclusive. We are not shutting people out. Lou is a diehard. Diehard die hard might be strong. Lou is a Raiders depends fan. On, depends on the day of the week with which team he's a fan of. Lou is a Raiders fan. Uh, that is what he says. We'll take him at his word. And he despises the Kansas City Chiefs, like a lot of people, unfortunately. And he really, really wanted the Chiefs to lose. So he embraced... Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, leading up to the AFC Championship, changed his profile picture in our Discord to Lamar Jackson. He changed his screen name to Lamar Jackson's number one fan or something like that. Yep. And as the Ravens were beginning to lose and beginning to fade in that game, he changed his name to Lamar Jackson's number one hater. And he had a picture of Lamar Jackson's brawl vector with an X through it. So... That is the ultimate disgraceful flip flop. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna go to bat for a guy and and try to propel him to help defeat a team you don't like, you gotta see it all the way through. Yeah. Dis- is disgraceful. Lou, is Lou ready for, for my Chargers and Jim Harbaugh to to go all over the run all over the Raiders next season? Yeah, well, hey, they got their man Antonio Pierce, so can't be too mad at that. But mm. happy for you. Thank you. you. Know? The yeah. diehard, diehard Chargers fan. You're right probably here. the most like, and I say this not disparagingly, but you are the most casual Chargers yep. fan I know. Oh, it's not disparagingly; it's the yeah. truth. Okay, it is 100 the truth. Okay, you you parachute in when it when it you know is convenient, and that's yeah. I get it. There's a lot of sports to, there's, to keep there's track a, of. There are plenty of sports that I am diehard for. Yeah, Th- um, that is one where I just parachute in. Yeah, Danielle saying Fowler's point shots kill me, especially after seeing Zelly find the lane. Yeah. Also, have we have we settled on a nickname for uh, for Zellberger? Is it Zelly? Yeah, I, I think it's the... I think Zelly is the team some people were were not liking that in our. I, in our I'm Discord. pretty positive that they have said it's Zelly. I've seen it. I mean, Zelly makes sense. Will Zellberger eventually be able to parlay a Zelly sponsorship? What is what is Zelly? Do you not know what Zelly is? Or is it no. pronounced Zell? Is it Zell or Zelly? Z- it's Zell. Okay. Will Will, will, will Zellweger ever... <laughs> now, now I know what you're talking about. Will he ever parlay a Zell sponsorship? That'd be uh, kind of sick. That, that would be cool. 
Yeah. Would would we have to sit through all of the commercials uh, like we had to do with Trevor Zegras and Olive last season? Oh, I forgot about that. Hey, he he was good in those. I'd I'd rather I'd rather see that those athletes that don't get as much shine get the bag. Than, That's fair. Than not. That's fair. So. It was just played every single game. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, o- Oz I, I, Oz is a much better name. It's not Oz. It's O Z. I Oz. No I one say says Oz. Has anyone Oz. ever actually? Is that the way people intend it? Yeah, like the Oz? Wizard of Oz. That's really no. Oz is dumb. I'm why, sorry. Why would Oz? Oz is a great Zelly, nickname. Zelly is better than Oz. No, Oz is o- Oz is O-Z. so much better. Ozzy. Ozzy or Ozzy. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's Oz because that's his initials. Connor. Yeah, you really screwed this one up. Yeah, no. See, Derek's saying it's Oz. Oz, give me Oz. Who the? F- it's the Wizard Man, of Oz. You're just you just you die on the weirdest hills. <laughs> it's so strange. I don't understand it. Um, just like to have fun here. But Zelly, I mean, it works for me. It works for me. No issues. Man, could he could become a wizard? He could. They could give him a hat. I don't think he wants that. He's the Wizard of Oz. He's probably never seen The Wizard of Oz. He's born in like 2003 wow. or something. Wow. I mean, wow. am I wrong? Uh, Wizard of Oz is, is very dated at this point. Is it? I feel like yes, Wizard of it I is. feel like everyone would have seen Wizard of Oz. Man, you just I hate to break it to you, but times have changed. Derek Derek OZ is good for me. Derek is listening. Uh, ask Olin Zellweger if he's ever seen Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Don't ask him that. Don't waste a- ask his time. Him, ask him that, please. Don't waste his precious time. Please, with that. please. This this is the hard hitting journalism we need from you, Derek. That's just a <laughs> that's just a waste of time for everyone involved. Uh, yeah. Okay. Dan- Danielle's saying your age is showing. I'm not that old. The, the the presumption that everyone, especially Gen Z, has seen Wizard of that, Oz. That's a fair point. Yeah, he's born in 2003. Said. I said he's born in 2003. Why yeah, are you agreeing I, now? I, I gave you credit back then. You didn't. You you didn't. You said quite the opposite. <laughs> it's just these hills that you're dying on that just confuse me. Yeah, I'm not Derek, mad. I'm Derek, just Derek speaking to him anyways. Derek, ask him the question saying with his initials being OZ if he's seen Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz is famous to duck lover here in the chat. I'm not disputing Wizard of Oz's place in, in you know, American culture, but Follow I'm saying the yellow that book road. the kids who grew up with iPads in the crib might not have seen it. That's what I'm saying. And that's okay. That's Wasn't fine. there a, a recent rend- rendition of it or, or something? I don't know. Oz yeah. the Great and Powerful 2013. Okay. Ducks Dragon, so, I was throwing in a bunch of question marks. I don't know where he's going with that. I don't know. Lou's saying Wizard of Oz is not a great movie. Oh, that's why. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it was Oz the Great and Powerful with James Franco. That's right. Wizard of Oz is a classic. You can't hate on it. Yeah. This is what you've brought on us. Yeah, see, unless it's on TikTok, they probably don't know anything about it. Yeah. That's the way it is. That's fine. Click, click your heels three times. No one's seen it. I mean, yeah. I, I <laughs> Louis just has the worst takes, man. <laughs> just the worst takes on movies. Yeah. I, needs... I don't like I don't pretend to say that Lu- that Wizard of Oz is like this awesome movie, but it is a classic 
it has its place in 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 it's you at, know. it's at 98% on rotten tomatoes 92% on metacritic it's part of it's part of americana i would say it's part of americana it is Every, everyone in our generation and preceding that saw it like we had movies to unite us back then now everyone's has their own algorithm it's sad speaking of movies iron claw, claw is fantastic go see it oh well, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie. <laughs> Just out of uh, nowhere. Wrestling yeah. talk. Good to know. Oh, it's a wrestling thing. It is. Zach Efron should have won an Oscar. That's all. Rotten Tomatoes is also just... Uh, it's just like... Well, yeah, this is also... Metacritic also has a 92%. Yeah, I'd go with that. And Rotten Tomatoes, you look at the critic score also. I'm surprised we haven't talked about Adam Henrique and the trade deadline. Oh, yeah, he's going to get moved. Yeah. Now he can be but, looser. But they were talking about it today on um, on 32 Thoughts and how yep. like there's a lot of interest. Yep. Devils, you, Rangers. Canucks. My, my question is, will they get a first-round pick for him? I think if there's a lot of interest, yes. I think that what I would realistically expect is a second-round pick. I would expect a second and a prospect. The Manson trade. Not a great prospect, though. The Manson trade. Adam Henrique is not Josh Manson. The Manson trade. <laughs> that is a very generous comparison. Oh, we have an actual Ducks question. Uh, a couple of them, actually. We should probably I just brought up a Ducks topic. Uh, hockey questions, though. Matthew DeSilva said, aside from the Blue Jackets, what other teams are screwing up a top prospect's development? I don't know. Good I question. don't either. Nick Robertson? Toronto? Yeah, probably that. Toronto Duck- fans are freaking out about Nick Robertson. Labushkin for Robertson? <laughs> Ducks, I feel like, how many hypothetical trades between the Leafs and the Ducks have there been over the years? Uh, so many from this guy. Like trillions? From this guy right here. Raquel uh, Duck- and Manson for Nylander? Yeah. <laughs> Duck Lover said, do you think the Ducks take a couple of bad contracts again this year? I don't think so. I yeah, don't think I don't that either. they're, I mean, unless it's like short term to help a team at the deadline or something, but. Yeah, I don't either. Don't see it. Yep. Rangers with Lafreniere and Kako is a pretty solid argument, although Lafreniere has kind of come on this year. So Kings, Kings with Turcotte? I mean, have they, though? Because he played 12 games, and now he's been in, in the minors ever since, and maybe that's a good thing for him. He's now up, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Alex so- Turcotte is here to save the Los Angeles Kings season. Yeah. Yep. That that's what I'll do. So I think that's going to be it for us tonight. Also, I want to throw a little uh, caution to the Ryan Strom contract. Okay. It's just, it is what it, it is. It's not aging well. It's not aging well. Like it's aging. I never expected to age great, but it's aging worse than I anticipated. Yeah. The only good thing is that the ducks should be in a decent cap space to be able to absorb that doesn't make it a better deal like i'm i'm at the point where it's that line of like so what would you say you do here with ryan strom like i'm not really sure what he is on this team maybe he just needs great players to play with and maybe eventually leo carlson will be that for him but man tough yep but maybe he'll morph into a, a great third liner we'll see yep i would agree i don't have a whole lot more to say on it 
I mean, you're the one that's been talking. Like, I'm I'm not the one dragging this show on. I keep saying we should end it. You have not said that up until right this moment. I said it, like, right before you brought up the Strom contract. You have never said that. Um, okay. All right. Well, anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Really appreciate you listening. Uh, if you want to help support the podcast, there's a few really easy and convenient ways to do so. Go check out our Patreon page. If you love the content that we bring, you can get even more of it there. Patreon.com slash Crash the Pond. For $2 a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord server. This is a great place to connect with other diehard Ducks fans, have a good laugh, know what's going on, you know, bounce, bounce ideas around. Also, there's other channels, so you can talk about different sports. There's diehard fans of each sport in there, uh, including wrestling. So go check that out. That's for $2 a month. For $7.50 a month, you get that. You get two bonus podcasts a month, so bonus episodes where you know we'll kind of bounce around more unfiltered, really getting into the the details. So whether it's ducks, other teams, our rankings, things of that nature, two bonus podcasts, and also bonus Patreon uh, player breakdown videos. So if you've seen the videos that we post on our uh, YouTube channel, there's more of them there. So that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. So go check that out. Uh, just takes a couple of seconds, but it really does help out quite a bit. Leave us some feedback on Spotify. Go to our website, crashthepond.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Jake already said it, youtube.com slash crashthepond. Find us on twitter.com. We're both there. And on that, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.